1: If you knew that other people were watching you and were being inspired by the way you deal with the challenges of your life, would that encourage you a little bit? Well, know that they are watching you.
0: Just as others have influenced you, you're influencing others. Pastor Greg Laurie has good encouragement today on A New Beginning.
1: When you dare to live a godly life despite difficulties in your life, it's a powerful testimony, more powerful than you may realize. This
0: is the day. Have you ever researched a product online and when you discover dozens of bad reviews you decided against it? What happened during that research? Other people influenced your behavior. They kept you from making a mistake. So how are you influencing others? Not in the products they buy, but in the pattern in their life. Today on A New Beginning, Pastor Greg Laurie returns to our studies in the life of Moses to consider what kind of influence we want to have on those around
1: us. Let's just say for the sake of a point that we knew, and we could never know this, but let's say we could, that we knew somehow that Jesus was returning tomorrow at three o'clock sharp in the afternoon. Let's say we knew that. How would that affect you from now to then? I think around 2.45 you would be the most spiritual version of you that ever existed. You'd have 20 Bibles open. You'd be praying, you'd be listening to worship music, and sharing the gospel all at the same time. Just, yeah, I'm ready. Well, in reality, the believers should live every day as though it were their last day, because someday it will be. The believers should live every day as though that were the day that Christ were coming back again. The great evangelist D.L. Moody was once asked the question, Moody. If you knew the Lord would return tonight, how would you spend the rest of the day? Moody replied without hesitation, quote, I wouldn't do anything different than I do every day, end quote. That's how we all ought to be living. Now the Bible is very clear in pointing out that Christ is coming back again. So in light of this, how am I supposed to be living? Paul gives us an answer here in 1 Corinthians 10 in his words to last days believers. And it's interesting because as his point of reference, he goes back to Moses and the Israelites, the very thing we're looking at together. He talks about how they were delivered from Egypt, how they were in the wilderness for 40 years, how God provided for them the manna and such, how they complained and all the drama that went with it. And he uses that as a point of reference to then bring an application to us. So let's read what Paul wrote, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11 to 13. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. These things happened as examples to us They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age, that's us. So if you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptations to be more than you can stand. And when you are tempted, He'll show you a way out so you can endure. We'll stop there. So here's basically what He's saying. Look, we're living in the last days, They went through a whole lot of hard stuff and we can learn from their mistakes as well as their victories. And we too are going to face severe trials, some worse than others. But the temptations you are going to are not unique to you. Listen, you're not alone in your struggles in life. Again, verse 13. These things happen to them as examples for us and were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. Sometimes we might think that suffering is random. There's no reason for it. There's no purpose in it. There's no order to it, but it really isn't. God has his purposes as to why he allows certain things to happen in our lives, but here's what we need to consider. Would you find a measure of comfort to know that by the way you faced your hardships, challenges, and trials, that it would give hope to others? let me say it another way. If you knew that other people were watching you and were being inspired by the way you deal with the challenges of your life, would that encourage you a little bit? Well, know that they are watching you. We are being watched as Christians. You know, people know when you're a believer and and they're watching your every step. Quite honestly, they're not always rooting for you. Uh, Frankly, they would like you to mess up here and there so they don't have to feel bad about not believing what you believe. So when you dare to live a godly life and you give glory to God despite difficulties in your life, know this, it's a powerful testimony, more powerful than you may realize. You think of Paul and Silas who were thrown into prison for preaching the gospel. The jailer was especially cruel and harsh. He whipped them. And then he put their feet in stocks and put them in the back of a deep, dark, miserable dungeon. And then at midnight, that jailer heard something he had never heard in all of his years. He heard Paul and Silas singing two-part harmonies. I don't know if they were harmonizing, but <laughs> singing, giving praises to God. And ultimately that resulted in the jailer believing when he came to them and said, what must I do to be saved? So these things happened to them as examples to us. You know, I don't think the characters in the Bible realized that we would be talking about their lives, you know, hundreds and thousands of years later. Do you think Job thought about that when he's going through it? He said, I'm gonna say this now, and this would be a great quote about me. I think he was just in real time experiencing the hardships of his life. But it was recorded for us to be inspired by. And the same is true of the Israelites. And there's a lot we can learn from them. And a lot we can learn from Moses. But one thing that jumps out to me is how God uses ordinary people. He uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Levi Lasco recently spoke here. And he told the story of walking down the beach with his little daughter, um, Clover. And they were collecting shells. Leeway was picking all the nice ones and she was picking up the broken ones and she was carrying as many as she could carry in her little hands. and, And then she noticed her dad was only picking up the nicer, more collectible shells. And she reminded her dad and said, Daddy, the broken ones are beautiful too. Good theological insight. I think when God is looking for people to use, he often finds that the broken ones are beautiful too. I'll take it a step further. Sometimes it seems as though he goes out of his way to pick the broken ones. To use what we might classify as the unusable. To take the ordinary, to do something extraordinary so he can get the glory. The Bible tells us that his strength is made perfect in our weakness. And Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians four, seven, we have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. And this makes it clear that our great power is not from ourselves, but it's from God. And so here's Moses, he's a work in progress when we're introduced to him. And he's pretty interesting because he messes up big time in the verses we're about to read. I I wrote a book called Johnny Cash, The Redemption of an American Icon. I've always been fascinated by Johnny Cash. and, And he was a very strong believer, but he also had very real struggles. I think sometimes people think he was worse than he actually was. And in one of his songs, he sang these lyrics, I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. And I think some people thought that was autobiographical, but Cash never shot anybody. He never killed anybody, but Moses did. He actually murdered a man. So we are introduced to him now, and we're gonna get a little more uh, clarity on who he really was. Now, depending on your age, you may sort of think of Moses in different ways. For an older generation, we remember the film The Ten Commandments. Directed by Cecil B. DeMille and starring Charlton Heston. He was a great Moses, wasn't he? For a younger generation, they may think of Christian Baal. Because there was a film made that was called Exodus, Gods and Kings. Uh, Bale didn't have a lot of uh, respect for Moses, the character he played. In an interview, he said, Moses was a terrorist to the Egyptians and Christian Baal also called the mental state of Moses into question. No wonder Exodus Gods and Kings was such a bad movie. Right? I think Baal was confusing Moses with Batman, who he also played, right? Too bad he didn't use the same voice. I'm Moses. Anyway. Here's how the Bible describes Moses despite his flaws and shortcomings. Moses, the man of God what higher compliment could be paid? Moses, the man of God, and that's exactly who he was. But the thing is, he was a reluctant leader. Moses did not want the job of Moses, but he was chosen by God. So to pick up where we last left off, the Jewish people are growing in number, and they're serving the Egyptians as slaves. The Egyptians want to get them out they want to trim their numbers way back so the pharaoh gives a decree he says to the hebrew midwives that would deliver the little babies now if that baby that's born is a boy i want you to kill him the girls can live but kill the boys apparently he saw these boys as a potential threat in the future well these hebrew midwives feared god the bible says and they refused to obey what the Pharaoh told them to do. You know, a Christian should obey the civil government unless the civil government tells us to do something that is contrary to Scripture. And then we have a higher law that we turn to and that is the law of God and the truth of Scripture. And these women were believers. They thought, we're not gonna kill those baby boys. In fact, the irony of the whole story is the Pharaoh thought the boys were the threat and it was the women who saved the boys and saved Israel and preserved their nation. And two women in particular are identified among the Hebrew midwives, Shipra and Pua. Now there were others, but these two ladies are identified and it was Jochebed and Miriam. Jochebed, the mother of Moses, Miriam, the sister of Moses, that obviously played the role in saving him. And even an Egyptian woman that ultimately had compassion on the beautiful baby boy and adopted him into her home. And you remember that Moses was put in that little basket covered with pitch to make it waterproof and it drifted right down there to where the Pharaoh's daughter, the princess, uh, would spend time and she fell in love with little baby Moses, took him into the court and Josephus, the Jewish historian believes that Moses would have potentially been the Pharaoh of Egypt. And so offering commentary on this, Stephen in Acts chapter 7 said, At that time Moses was born, he was no ordinary child. For three months he was cared for by his family. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him in and brought him up as her own son. Moses was educated in the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech in action, So Moses was the whole package. He was handsome, athletic, smart, and he was charismatic. He could sway the masses. And then he was educated in the finest school of the day to be taught in the wisdom of the Egyptians meant he would be taught in Egyptian military tactics, art, music, painting, and of course, their religion. But underneath those royal robes beat the heart of a believer. Underneath those royal robes was a Jewish man that felt the pain of his fellow Jews who were being treated horribly as slaves to do the work of the Egyptians, and he wanted to help them, but he didn't know what to do. Now, if he had played his cards right and kept a low profile, he could have ultimately ascended to the throne of Egypt, become the Pharaoh, and let the people go. But for Moses, This just wasn't right. He knew that's not really what he wanted to do. And we already looked at that passage in Hebrews where it says, Moses chose to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Moses looked at it this way, God's worst was better than the world's best. What is the worst thing about being a Christian? eating bad casseroles or potlucks, no, no, that's not it. <laughs> Listening to Greg preach, no, that's not it either. The worst thing about being a Christian is probably the suffering and persecution we have to go through. The fact that if you put your faith in Christ and speak up about it, especially in the culture we're in today, uh, you'll be vilified by some and and attacked by others. and marginalized by even others and and you'll face differing forms of persecution for your faith. Now, if you live in a communist country or if you live in a Muslim country, you may even lose your life if you become a follower of Christ. So that's the worst that our faith has to offer. But the worst that our faith has to offer is better than anything the world has to offer. Now let's turn that around. Let's talk about the best that God has to offer. Oh man, everything you want in life. Purpose, fulfillment, forgiveness. And best of all, the hope of heaven. Now what is the worst that the world has to offer? We talk about the pleasures of the world. What about the worst? the repercussions of chasing those pleasures, the consequences of your actions, and the ultimate judgment that you will face one day standing before God Almighty. So Moses thought, you know what, I don't care. I don't wanna go this way. I don't wanna make these compromises. I need to do something. I think Moses was beginning to understand his destiny. I know God wants me to help the Jewish people, but how should I do it? Well, he had the right idea. (laughs) but he went about it in the wrong way. Let's look at what Exodus 2 has to say. Turn there with me if you would. Exodus 2, drop down to verse 11. Now it came to pass in those days when Moses has grown, he went out to his brothers and looked at their burdens. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brothers. So he looked this way and he looked that way and when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting. And he said to the one who did the wrong, why are you striking your companion? He said, who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Moses said, surely this thing is known. And when Pharaoh heard of the matter, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. Okay, let's stop there. Verse 12, it says, he looked this way and he looked that way. You know, if you ever uh, look at a surveillance camera in a store and you want to find a shoplifter, that's usually what they do. They walk up to the item they're going to take and they go, "Mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Grab it, right? When you're about to do something you shouldn't do, you look around. Is anybody watching me? He looked this way, he looked that way. Too bad he didn't look up. Because if he would have looked up, the Lord would have been saying, No, 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 no. Don't do what you're about to do. And he kills this guy. Moses is showing us what happens when impulsiveness reigns.
0: That's Pastor Greg Laurie, and he's just getting started in our studies in the life of Moses. We're learning from his strengths and weaknesses. And there's more to come. It's a message called God Enough. It's from our series, Water, Fire, Stone, which will continue tomorrow, focusing on the danger of being impulsive and showing how Moses' impulsiveness led to murder and his own exile. Join us same time tomorrow for more on A New Beginning. copy of Pastor Greg's full message from today, get in touch with Vision Christian Store. It was called God Enough. Just go to visionstore.org.au or call one 800 Station sponsor. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.